0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. another episode of the purple podcast the fourth preseason edition Matthew Collar flying solo on this one that's right Judd Zolgad and Courtney Cronin bailed on me for the final preseason game can you believe that of all the games to ever bail on someone the fourth preseason game was definitely the right time to do it. And what a compelling 13-3 to win it was for the Minnesota Vikings. So for this version of the Purple Podcast, we're going to take a look at some of the players that stood out to me and also answer your questions that were sent in on Twitter. So I appreciate all the questions that came in. Let's get to that first before I go through my list of players, starting with a question from Tynan. Will the Vikings win the super thing? Uh, you know what? After the... Preseason, it's very hard to tell whether they're going to win the super thing. Um, But when I look at the rest of the NFC and the Vikings roster and how it stacks up, I say that they are in the conversation, that the offensive line has not looked like it is a Super Bowl caliber offensive line, but the Vikings added George Iloka, added Sheldon Richardson to the number one defense, along with the weapons they have, and Delvin Cook coming back So they deserve to be in that conversation for teams that can potentially win the super thing. Uh, But a better question from Tynan was Brett Jones started at guard tonight and Danny Isadora at center. And what does that mean? Well, in my mind, that means still that Brett Jones is going to be the opening day center, but they wanted to see both guys. Jones has started 14 games in his career at center. So I think the Vikings would prefer to have him start there as it looks very unlikely that Pat Elfline would be able to play in week one. And of course, the fact that they got Jones alone would probably tell us that. But then in the second half, Jones played center. They probably also wanted to see Jones at left guard because Tom Compton has not looked like a starting guard in the preseason and in camp and really through his history, he's just been a backup guard and that's kind of what he is. So Brett Jones, someone who has started quite a few games in his career, I think is your opening day center. And then as soon as Pat Elfline moves, uh, comes back, then Brett Jones moves over to the left guard. Uh, moving on to a question here from Chris, if the Vikings keep Chad Beebe, does that spell the end of Marcus Sherrill's? That's a good question. Now, Marcus Sherrills suffered what appeared to be a hamstring injury uh, in the game against Seattle. Now, that could impact some of their decision-making. I don't know if they would cut him, or could he potentially go on injured reserve for six weeks, or because they don't talk so much about injuries, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if Marcus Sherrills just came back and he was healthy. It's, It's just we really don't get a sense from the team what these injuries mean to some of the decisions, and that makes it hard from the outside to be able to tell. I will say this about Marcus Sherels: that he was doing the same thing in camp and preseason that he has done every single year, which is punt return better than anyone else. It is a really rare skill that he has, that he is one of the best punt returners in the NFL, and even though Mike Hughes was supposed to challenge for that spot, He really didn't. Uh, Holton Hill had a good kick return, but didn't show a whole ton for punt returning. So no one has really challenged Sheryls. If he's healthy, I think he's on the team. And and Chad Beebe had a couple of decent punt returns. But again, he's not really a guy that has done it against uh, real NFL players. He was doing it against second or, or third teamers. And he didn't really have any great punt returns, just some that were an average punt return for Marcus Sherrill's plus Sherrill's is a bright player and he's actually done really well defensively in preseason. I think he's been solid, but in training camp, especially when he's been playing with the second team, I think he's a guy that Mike Zimmer actually does trust if he has to play on defense. And that's why I see him still getting a roster job. Now with Chad Beebe, that's interesting because Brandon Zilstra made a little bit of a statement on Thursday night by making a great touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. He also had a 20 yard reception in the game and Zilstra, before he got hurt and missed the first two preseason games. He was pretty solid in training camp and looked like a guy that would have a job. So let's go through that real quick. It's just the wide receiver room is very tough to figure out right now. I think Kendall Wright probably is on the team by default in a way, but it was interesting to me that he was, He had his pads on on Thursday night, unlike any of the other starters, but didn't play in the game. So what does that really mean? He has not been very impressive. He had one preseason catch. He's a slot-wide receiver when the Vikings play their two starters at slot. He does not play any sort of special teams. It even could be a trade situation with Kendall Wright because he is proven if there's another team that's looking for a slot wide receiver, I think that the wide receiver room is not really yet resolved unless Stacy Coley comes back and is okay. But he looks to me, Coley does, like a candidate to be on IR for the first six weeks and then eventually come back. So that receiver room is still very much up in the air, and I think it's difficult to figure out right now looking at the 53 who's in and who's not in, but I would say Brandon Zilstra certainly made his case to be on the roster. Let's get another question here from King Ragnar on Twitter. Appreciate that name. Uh, thoughts on Carlson's, Danny Carlson's performance. Well, Danny Carlson really didn't get uh, many opportunities to uh, kick aside from a 39-yarder and then a real chip shot field goal, though Mike Zimmer did say, coming out of the field in the second half on the broadcast that he was glad Daniel Carlson made the kick. Uh, I think Carlson is their guy. Uh, Rick Spielman talked glowingly about him on the broadcast uh, when he popped in. And even if he had missed one, they probably wouldn't have just cut him because of that. They have tied themselves to Daniel Carlson, which I look forward to following that week-to-week fun of Vikings Twitter and my partner Jed Zolgad melting down every time he misses one. But they're going to have to roll with that decision, and it's st- it seems like they're still pretty confident in that. So I guess we go from here, that Daniel Carlson can at least feel a little better about himself after uh, missing a couple of field goals at home against Seattle. Uh, next question comes from Nicholas. Do you think the Vikings are a legit Super Bowl contender with this offensive line? Uh, Touch on that a little bit before, but you know the rest of the talent on this team is so good that I think there is an ability to make up for that. It's just, if you lose 1% in any other area, then the answer might be no. If you lose one or two players on defense, if you lose Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen, if Kyle Rudolph goes down or if Delvin Cook gets hurt again all these things if something goes wrong or you have to miss Kirk Cousins for a few weeks Trevor Simeon is not going to be able to make up for a bad offensive line uh, the way that Case Keenum did as the backup last year uh, especially the second half of the season when the line didn't play as well Keenum was able to roll around and things like that and make plays and I do think that Cousins has enough ability to still have a very high-quality offense, even if the line is imperfect. But, you know, when you look at last year's Super Bowl winner, the Philadelphia Eagles had an incredible offensive line, and that ultimately was the difference in the NFC Championship game. So it's the Achilles heel of this team and could be the one thing that undoes them, though I do think that getting Brett Jones helps them a little bit. Um, moving on to... A couple of the other questions. I mean, it's always going to come up here, and and I imagine that a lot of different um, markets go through this with the third quarterback, that Kyle Sloder again was very good. He's not the backup quarterback. It's Trevor Simeon. He was great, and, and the, the, the back shoulder touchdown to Brandon Zilstra is a great throw, and his run was very good, and he's going to finish the preseason with fantastic statistics. He had a 121 rating, 130 yards on uh, 15 passes. Great job by Mike Boone on one of those catches to get him a bunch of yards after catch. All of that is great. It's exactly what they wanted to see from Kyle Sloter. There's a reason that they wanted to keep him here. Trevor Simeon's the backup. Trevor Simeon has an NFL career before this where he's actually played and actually won games, and that's why they traded for him. And Kyle Slaughter has only ever played, whether it was Denver or here, against fourth stringers. I mean, two years ago in Denver on a very good team, Trevor Simeon has an 84 quarterback rating, 18 touchdowns, 10 picks. Like that's a that's a pretty solid season for a backup quarterback. He's going to be the guy. And in all of training camp practices, he's been the number two. And he's looked much better in practice than Kyle Slower. So even though they should be thrilled with how Sloter looked as a developmental quarterback, and hey, maybe he's the next Matt Hasselbeck or something, right? Somebody who's a a practice squad type guy, and it takes a little while, but eventually he gets there. But as for right now, it would stun me if Trevor Simeon was not the number two quarterback. So just to to get that out of the way. So great questions, and thank you all for sending them. Uh, I I just want to run down my 10 players, and we touched on a couple of them here, so I'll go through those quickly. But the 10 or so players that stuck out to me, And then, you know what, we'll call it a preseason, and we can all celebrate that we made it. We did it. We did this together. We got through the preseason, and then I'm very excited to see the cutdowns in the the 53 because um, there's a lot of questions here, so we'll get to some of those. Steven Weatherly had a phenomenal night. He's the first guy on my list. He just comes right out and plows the right tackle right back into the quarterback for the Titans, Luke Falk. And it was uh, another great game for him. He's had good preseason games all the way through. And I think if anybody is dinged up or slowed down this time around, like if Everson Griffin were to get hurt again like he did last year, Stephen Weatherly's actually going to play some significant amount of snaps because of how well he has done in the preseason. I think he's shown that development. Eric Wilson, the next on my list, uh, I thought of Eric Wilson as just – completely 100% special team guy coming into this. And now I think, well, you know, if somebody went down for a game or two, it wouldn't be as bad as, as I would have thought. And Wilson has made some significant progress, especially from what Mike Zimmer has said on understanding the game and who he's supposed to key and how he's supposed to make plays so he has done a great job in every preseason game, and you might even see him mix in to some different packages or to even give somebody a break here or there. Uh, we touched on the two offensive linemen, Isidora and Brett Jones. Isidora playing center is very interesting, uh, so they'll probably go back and take a look at that, but I think this means Cornelius Edison is out, even though he he did an admirable job trying to step in for those first couple of preseason games. My guess is that he does not have a job on this team, maybe a practice squad guy. Holton Hill had an interesting night. He had a good kick return. He had a very good pass breakup where he showed some of his Uh, explosiveness and used his length to break up a pass, but at the same time he also missed a couple of tackles, and that's really been Holton Hill's preseason, that there is potential there with his length and his speed, but he just really hasn't shown a whole lot to make you think that he deserves a spot on the 53. Maybe his potential gets him out of the practice squad, or maybe they just really don't want to lose him so he gets a job, but As far as what he's actually shown for long-term potential, I think that he's probably going to be out. Uh, Mike Boone tonight, very good on a couple of plays, uh, a big run, and then the 46-yard reception. Those two things probably help him rise to the top above Rock Thomas. Uh, Between the two, I have liked some of the things Rock Thomas has done better, but Boone had the very good game against Seattle, and he's been the guy that I think they liked the most from the start because of his freakish athleticism. And unfortunately for rock Thomas, he starts out pretty well. He had four carries for 12 yards, two catches for 15 yards, but then he ends up going down with the ankle injury. And I don't know how that might impact the decision-making. They might keep both and five running backs. That would really surprise me though. So I, my guess is here that Mike Boone ends up as the number three, especially since he can catch the ball and it ends up being Rock Thomas on the practice squad and two really good finds there for the Vikings. Uh, we touched on Simeon and Slaughter, a really good game for, for Kyle Slaughter again. Uh, Brandon Zilstra stepping up and making a big catch there. He's got a case now to make uh, the roster. Brian O'Neal is, is another guy that made my list tonight because he played the whole game. And what that tells us about Brian O'Neal is that he's not going to play this year that we're not going to see much of Brian O'Neill unless there are injuries that it's going to be Rashad Hill as the starter and probably Aviant Collins as his backup. They clearly want to slow play the progress of Brian O'Neill and do not want to make the same mistake that they made with TJ Clemmings, which was forcing him in way too fast. And I'm not saying they're the same person because O'Neill is a much better prospect, but they forced Clemmings in so fast and his confidence was just crushed from the beginning. I think they want to be much more careful with Brian O'Neill. So even though he had a really good preseason and either allowed zero or, or one sacks, uh, pro football focus had him down to zero. I ha- I thought there was one, uh, but maybe they, they blame the quarterback for that. But uh, tonight he played well throughout the entire game, handled his man. He wasn't a guy that you noticed getting beat a whole ton, but it's just clear that He stands as the number three tackle at this point, and he's going to be a project that they just continue to work on, and he is not. Even though I thought at one point maybe if he continued to take big steps, he could compete with Rashad Hill. does not look like that's going to happen. Uh, Last two guys on my list here. Daniel Carlson was one of them, and (laughs) nobody needed to have a decent game more than Daniel Carlson. And Jalen Holmes is an interesting guy to me. Uh, Because he's done nothing but just get in the backfield. And uh, even though he hasn't been playing against the first teams, he's shown the potential of why they wanted to draft the defensive end that didn't have a ton of production and then move him inside to defensive tackle because he's got this size and length and quickness and seems to have a natural ability to push linemen back and he could be a mismatch for guards. So Jalen Holmes has made an impression on me as a guy that maybe not this year, but maybe next year, kind of the way we've seen with Julio Johnson where he stood out in the preseason. And then it was the next year that he started to show up and uh, get a chance to be in that rotation And maybe next year they lose Sheldon Richardson, and it's the younger guys who are taking that role. I guess that's quite a ways down the road. But uh, Holmes is definitely a guy that has impressed me throughout the preseason. Uh, Feel free to send me tweets on on anybody else. Uh, It was kind of interesting that, um, you know, we saw George Iloka play the whole game. Uh, Afadi Adenabo had um, four. QB hits, so he was in the backfield quite a bit, and he's a guy that's been pushing for a job, but I I just have a really tough time finding a spot for him, though. That's the problem is, even though he's been in the backfield a lot, and especially since he was playing defensive end, looked really good, it's just who are you going to cut here? They have so many good defensive ends. You're probably keeping to Sean Bauer, who's been mostly good. Steven Weatherly is a lock on the inside. Jaleel Johnson is going to be there. And then, as I mentioned, uh, Jalen Holmes, a guy that they drafted in the fourth round, you're not cutting him. So it's a it's it's tough decisions kind of across the board. And David Perry is probably going to go the nose tackle that they uh, signed in the offseason. season. So that's kind of where we stand right now on the 53. I think the toughest decisions are defensive uh, backfield is going to be hard with the cornerbacks in part because we don't know how long Mackenzie Alexander is uh, going to be out. I mean, is he going to play week one? We're just not sure. Uh, Mike Hughes played a lot in week four, though, so I'm interested to see if that means that Mike Hughes could potentially start if Alexander isn't ready because of an ankle injury for week one. And that could impact some of the decisions that they make. Uh, I could even see uh, Craig James being a guy that maybe doesn't make the 53, but is a guy that's on the practice squad. So that that's one area. The defensive line is tough. Uh, I think we're pretty much set in most other areas there and almost ready to go. So we will have a 53-man instant reaction here on the Purple Podcast. Uh, As soon as the Vikings put out their 53, we will record a podcast, get it right out to you with all of our thoughts on the different cuts. And one thing I would also mention is last year we saw the Vikings acquire two players after the cuts, Tremaine Brock and also Blake Bell. Do not be surprised if we see that again. Wide receivers, offensive linemen, I think that this team is always trying to pick up talent, but especially now is not going to let any situation kind of be in that. Well, we'll see. Maybe this guy could do this or that. It's going to be, hey, we're a Super Bowl caliber team and have to pick up anybody we possibly can. We saw that with George Iloka. So we'll do the 53 man podcast and then we might have uh, breaking news. There's a trade type of podcast, too. So. Keep your ears peeled for that. Thank you all to the people who tweeted. And also bless you if you watched all of that fourth preseason game. Man, I know it's important to every player who goes out there. They're trying to make that final impression. But, boy, was that some tough football to watch. So it's all over. It is on to San Francisco. And we will have all sorts of coverage leading up to week one here on the Purple Podcast and at 1500ESPN.com. Thank you all for listening.